please open your Bibles to John 6.35. And using the Pew Bible, you'll find the reading on page 892. Spirit is saying to the church. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, and raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. May God bless our understanding of this reading from His Holy Word. Thank you, Chris. Before I lead us in prayer, um, as I do my study through the week, I make uh, a number of different notes on different pieces of paper, and a lot of my notes came from John Piper's book, Future Grace. Uh, I also made notes from other people as well as my own notes, and uh, by the time the end of the week rolled around and I'm writing my sermon... I don't know what came from John Piper, what came from me, and what came from anybody else. So I wanted to mention him to give him a blanket credit uh, where credit is due. By the way, uh, the book Future Grace, probably one of the top three or four most uh, influential books in my life uh, for my Christian walk. If you were looking for a good book on the Christian life to help you understand how grace helps you become more like Jesus Christ. I cannot recommend this highly enough. It's in Kindle, Kindle uh, or electronic version, if, if you will. Uh, it is by John Piper and is called Future Grace. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that as we uh, open your word as we hear it proclaimed. I pray that we would feast upon Jesus Christ, the true bread of life. That he would satisfy, he alone would satisfy our deepest longings. So that all the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We ask in His name. Amen. If you are visiting with us for the first time, we are working our way through the Gospel of John. Uh, and we are uh, right in the middle of John chapter 6. Uh, Chris read, read to us this morning from verses 35 through 40. The Gospel of John has been called the Gospel of Belief. John Piper points out that the verb believe 
occurs over 90 times in John's Gospel. And you can compare that to the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. Um, Matthew uses the word believe only 11 times. Mark uses the word believe 12 times. And Luke uses the word believe 9 times. So, uh, maybe 32 times total for those three Gospels. John uses the word believe 90 times in his own Gospel alone. Um, He uses it nearly three times more than the other Gospels combined. To underline the importance of faith for John's Gospel, I want to point you to um, the purpose of his gospel. You don't need to turn there, but listen closely. It's John chapter 20, verse 31. This is the purpose statement of his gospel. John says he wrote his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is uh, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. In other words, John wants you to trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, That is central to his gospel. The theme of believing in Christ runs through the entire gospel. I I could have chosen about eight or nine different passages. Uh, I decided to choose only three. We saw in John 3.16 the importance of faith. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. We saw it in John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has, been, but has passed from death to life. We're going to see it again in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet he shall live. I underscore the importance of faith. Because if we go, if we are in error uh, on the nature of faith, everything in the Christian life will go wrong. We won't even be able to begin the Christian faith without a true, genuine, saving faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest mistake that people make in regard to the nature of faith is they think that belief is merely an agreement uh, with facts in the head. And so, in other words, they, they believe, well, as long as I believe all the orthodox doctrines, then I have faith. And as long, excuse me, as long as I believe in the existence of Christ, then I have eternal life. Belief, however, is not simply uh, an agree, a mental agreement with a set of facts. John was very aware that many would try and hang their assurance with God on a faith that is not really a faith at all. He included in his Gospel many uh, examples of false faith to help us understand the nature of true faith. 
And he also included these examples of false faith to warn us against trying to base our salvation on a faith that is not a real faith. So for instance, John made sure he told us, and you will remember this uh, many months ago now, uh, from John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Uh, the people in Jerusalem believed in Christ, but it wasn't a real faith. So John uh, said, chapter John two twenty three through twenty five. Now when he was now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So they believed in his name, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. And so even though they are believing in His name, they're getting real excited about His miracles. Jesus would not entrust Himself to them because He knew that their faith was a false faith. In, in John chapter 12, verses 42 through 43, uh, John told us about many of the religious authorities living in and around Jerusalem. And these religious authorities believed in Jesus, but it was with the faith that was not genuine um, or 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 saving. Um, so John says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so you have these religious leaders, these religious authorities, who are believing in Jesus, yet their faith is a false faith. You will remember how the Apostle James warns us about placing our security in a false faith. James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It is so common to place your trust in a faith that is false. A faith that does not save. That the Apostle Paul pleaded with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He said to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And so he's talking about testing yourself. Uh, what does that mean? Well, A.W. Pink may be able to help us. Here are some common traits of false faith that A.W. Pink has identified. He says, people with false faith want Christ to save them from hell, but are not willing for Him to save them from themselves. They want to be delivered from the wrath to come, but they wish to retain their self-will and their self-pleasing. They want Christ as a Savior, but are unwilling to bow themselves unto Him as their Lord. 
or if they're prepared to own Him as their Lord, it's not their absolute Lord. They'll tolerate obedience up to a point. They will obey Him in some areas of their life, but there will be other areas that they flatly or passive-aggressively say to Him, No! I will not obey you in that area. To utterly deny self and to take up their cross daily is something that people with a false faith are unwilling to do. A.W. Pink says, If there is any reserve in your obedience, you are on the way to hell. So the question before us is, what is true, genuine, saving faith? Verse 35 tells us. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Eternal life is not given to people who merely think that Jesus is the Son of God. Is given to people who drink from Jesus as the Son of God and feast upon Him. Jesus is saying that saving faith does not just believe that He is life-giving food um, and life-giving water. Saving faith is coming to Jesus and feasting upon Him so that our hearts are satisfied in Him. Saving faith is coming to Jesus and feasting upon Him because we desire Him more than anything else. And we desire Him because we love Him supremely. John Piper says, Faith is not the mere affirmation that Christ is infinitely precious. Faith is embracing Christ as precious because Christ is loved in our hearts. And God reveals how much He loves you. How He sent His Son, His own beloved Son, His Son who had never sinned, His Son who is willing to be stretched out on that awful, gory cross to suffer in your stead, taking your sins upon Himself, when He reveals this love to you, when He reveals how much He loves you, then your heart loves Christ. Then you begin feeding on Him. You begin thirsting for Him like a deer pants for water in a dry and thirsty land. You drink in His Lordship in your life. You feast upon His love for you. You cry out in your heart, More about Jesus would I know. More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. Jesus says in verse 35 that He is the end of your hunger and the end of your thirst. Look again at verse 35. 
He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. See, saving faith in Christ leads our hearts to be satisfied in Him alone. He satisfies the longest, de- uh, longest uh, the deepest longings of our heart. He becomes in us an inexhaustible fountain, a satisfying life that lasts forever and leads us into heaven. He is the, que- he is the end of our quest for satisfaction. Now this means if He is the end of our quest for satisfaction, it means that unbelief is a turning away from Christ in order that we might seek satisfaction in other things other than Christ. For example, pride is a turning away from Christ to take satisfaction in self. Worldliness is a turning away from Christ to take satisfaction in stuff. Lust is a turning away from Christ to find satisfaction in sex. And we could go on and on and on. I'm sure you get the point. Does Christ satisfy the deepest longings of your soul? Or does something else serve as your satisfaction? Are you supremely satisfied in Jesus Christ. In verse 40, Jesus told the crowd, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. That's good news. But it also means that um, only those who feast upon Christ will have eternal life. And the crowd was unwilling to embrace Him. The the crowd was, was unwilling to feed upon Him, to feast upon Him. Look at verse 36. Verse 36 says, Jesus speaking to the crowd, But I say to you that you have seen Me and yet do not believe. That's a stunning statement. Christ knew what was going on in the heart of every person who was listening to Him that day. While He was preaching, Jesus was able to see into the very depth of their souls, the the very depth of every individual soul that He was preaching to. He knew if they were eager to embrace Him. He knew if they were um, willing to be satisfied in Him or not. He's looking into your soul right now. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows what you look to or who you look to for satisfaction. What is He seeing? What are you desiring? Only if you are feasting upon Christ will you have eternal life. Now this requirement of true Genuine saving faith is not a contractual requirement. In other words, God's not saying, if you will believe in Me the right way, then I will reward you with faith. That's not what this passage is saying at all. 
Faith is not a work that we must do to earn eternal life. Just the opposite. Faith is a gift that God gives to us. It's a gift that He gives to us where, whereby He connects us to Jesus so that we can draw from Jesus everything we need to have a relationship with God, so that we can draw from Jesus the new life that we need, so that we can draw from Jesus the repentance we need, to draw from Jesus the growth and grace that we need, to draw from Jesus the holiness and the righteousness that we need, so that we can draw from Jesus our communion with God. And so God gives us faith. We don't exercise faith to earn something with God. He gives it to us so that He can connect us to Jesus, uh, to, to Himself. God gives us the faith, the gift of faith, so that we can stop loving ourselves by His power at work in us and begin loving Him. I know I've said a lot about true. Uh, genuine faith. I've also marked out what is uh, false faith. But I don't know if I've been as concrete as I could be. So I'm going to take another attempt to explain the essence of faith in Christ. And I'm going to use an illustration. Uh, those of you who know me know I love watching war movies. I can watch war movies all day long. If there's a uh, like Veterans Day or or um, Memorial Day or something like that, I'll just park myself in front of the TV and watch these war movies and, and be thankful for uh, the sacrifices made uh, for us. But in almost every one of these movies, a soldier will receive a letter from his sweetheart. And it's a love letter. And as he reads it, he drinks in every word. He devours it as if eating a four-course meal in a fine restaurant. And while he's reading it, he sniffs the letter to see if he can, if can catch a, a faint hint of, of his sweetheart's scent on the letter. And after he reads it, he reads it again. And then after he reads it again, he takes it and he folds it up very neatly and he places it in his pocket closest to his heart so that he can take it out and read it even again. This is, this is an illustration of faith in Christ. You love Him supremely. You trust Him implicitly. You feast upon Him. He satisfies your deepest desires. And you drink in His words. You drink in the relationship He has with you. Like that soldier drinks in the words of his sweetheart's letter. And since I mentioned uh, letters to soldiers in combat, Jesus does not write Dear John letters. He gives you faith to love and trust Him because He first loved you. Romans 5.8 says God shows His love for us uh, in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Or 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, 
but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means to turn away wrath. Jesus took our sins upon Himself to turn God's wrath away from us onto His own beloved Son so that we might be the righteousness of God, that we might be children of God. The point is, God gives you faith to love and to trust Him because He so loves you and desires to shower you with His love. He does not love you and then withdraw His love. I want you to again listen to verses 37 through 40. Chris read them for us earlier. I want to give you time to look it up if you've closed your Bibles. You can find it on page 892 of your Pew Bibles. The reason I want you to be looking at this passage as I read it is because I want you to drink in every word. I want you to to devour it as if you were eating a four-course dinner from a fine restaurant. If you have never feasted on Christ... I want you to feast on Him now. As you listen to His words, listen to what He said about how He came to rescue sinners in order that He might bring them or bring us back to God. John 6, verses 37 through 40. We're on holy ground here. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. If you are in Christ, if you trust in Him, you can rest securely in Him. I'll let Thomas Brooks a 17th century Puritan has the last words of this sermon. He says, Earthly jewels sometimes get separated from their owner. Christ's jewels, us, never. Earthly jewels are sometimes lost. Christ's jewels, never. Earthly jewels are sometimes stolen. Christ's jewels, never. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank You for Jesus Christ and we thank You for the gift of faith that You have given us in Him to bring us to God. Because it's not as if we loved You. Because we did not. We only loved ourselves and the things of this world. But You loved us and sent Your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Lord, I pray that You would 
give this gift of faith to everyone who is here this morning. Father, I pray that You would renew the faith of Your children, that we all would look to our Lord Jesus, fall in love again with Him every day, take up our cross, joyfully wear His yoke, and love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, remembering always that He first loved us. We pray in His name. Amen.